So welcome to the next to the last installment in our series, Wisdom Books. And we've been talking about how ancient truth sort of goes in the face of our modern lies that our culture is telling us and how there's a, a contrast. As a matter of fact, the, the word Proverbs in the book of Proverbs, it, it, it literally means contrast, it, it, comparison. So we talked about Job and how suffering, and the world tells us that suffering is deserved, it's karma, what goes around comes around, uh, sort of the, the, the accusation against Job that, that you must have done something. And uh, God tells us that suffering is, is not always explained, that sometimes suffering draws us uh, closer to Him, but it doesn't always have an explanation. We talked about songs and how it taught us how to pray, and that too often we pray with our list as we ask God for stuff, but, uh, but, but that in Psalms we learn a little different way to pray. We learn that adoration and confession and thanksgiving are, are part of our prayer. In Proverbs, we talked about decision-making. We talked about how the world tells us to make a decision with anything from a coin flip to a, a, a opinion poll to a magic eight ball and uh, God tells us that we lay our decisions before him with biblical principles and seek discernment well I am taking the last two out of order I've had people apparently you guys are very very obsessive compulsive because you're very bothered that I'm going to do Song of Solomon before Ecclesiastes because that's not the order they're in in your Bible well Okay, somebody put them in that order. That's not necessarily how God gave them. And when I look at Ecclesiastes, I think it ought to be the last one because it's sort of a summary. Next week, we'll talk about perspective and how Ecclesiastes, the writer, the preacher in Ecclesiastes, he, he tells us that, that, that it, everything is apparently vanity. He's tried everything. And so it, it seemed to me that when we look at the poetry, which is the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon, that, that it really ought to precede that. Because if the writer of Ecclesiastes says, I've tried everything, well, in Song of Songs, he pretty much tells us what he's tried. <laughs> and I'll get to that in a minute. And so next week, I want to talk about perspective and how, how the, 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 the wisdom books, this, this collection of books within the book, they give us a, a sense of God's thinking, and especially as it compares to the world. And so today, we talk about the Song of Solomon, the Song of Songs. Song of Songs is probably the more accurate title for it. Uh, probably originally it was just songs. And like all of the wisdom books, it's, it's written in poetry. It's not narrative. It's, it's not a, a story that's being told. Although in, in this particular one, a, a story is being told. And it's almost ironic that, 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 uh, that I intended for this to be the, the message that we did today. Uh, and to be completely honest with you, I wasn't supposed to preach today. Uh, my daughter got married last night. I was up late. And while I talked about love all afternoon, trying to convince this young couple that there's a way to do it and there's a way not to do it, Brian was supposed to preach today, but he got word 
last week that the birth mother of his adopted daughter was going into labor and he needed to go to Texas and get her. And so Brian should be home today and uh, maybe in the next couple of weeks we will get to meet his delightful new daughter. Now, yeah, I tell you all that because today we're talking about love, right? And so I'm doing a wedding last night. He's bringing home a a daughter that's going to quickly put those three boys he's already got in second place. I don't know which one's going to be second, third, or fourth, but there's no way they can compete with the little princess. I saw a meme this week that said, uh, somebody asked me who my favorite child was. I know now that I should have named one of my own. (laughs) But... The, 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 the love that is there is, is apparent. And so it's, it's kind of interesting that we talk about the Song of Songs where the, the real comparison is that the world wants us to seek pleasure, but God wants us to seek intimacy. And in the Song of Songs, we've got that. It's fidelity. It's passion simplicity and again it's poetry this is this is a collection of poetry let me set it up a little bit for you i think we have to go all the way back to genesis chapter 3 and then jump over to luke chapter 4 to understand what god is trying to tell us about what true love really is in genesis chapter 3 the, the serpent said to Adam and Eve, did God really say? Can you trust His authority? Can you, can you, are, are you willing to, to stake your life on His plan, His words, His ideas? Or is maybe there a different way? How bad will it really be if you eat from the tree that He told you to leave alone? So, the authority of God was questioned. Closely behind that, in Luke chapter 4, when Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, the very first thing that he said to him, and and what I would consider to be the first of four temptations, most people say three, but, but the first thing he said was, if you are the Son of God. And so in Genesis chapter 3, God's authority was challenged. And in Luke chapter 4, our identity is challenged. Are we really children of God? Are we really products of the the kind of love that he described in 1 John chapter 3 and 4? Are are we really uh, inheritors of that love? Beneficiaries of that kind of love? Or are we sort of swayed by whatever the cultural narrative is and, and we've pretty much seen that the culture's lost the high ground? As a matter of fact, when I do a wedding, I, I don't even say uh, according to the laws of this state anymore because I'm not really sure what the laws of this state are concerning marriage. And so I simply say, as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I pronounce that you're man and wife. And, and so we, we come on this, 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 this balancing scale of what it means to see what the world offers. And temptation by the world always starts with questioning our identity as God's children. You know, you, you, you're missing out. 
You, if, if you really are children of God, he, he would let you do this stuff. He'll forgive you. What's a little pornography? What's a little adultery? What's a little abortion? I mean, God will forgive. That's, that's what He's in the business of doing. If you really are children of God, that's the God. So, so want to question His authority, want to question our identity, and it questions our definition of love. So what does the world say about love? Well, the world says what we need is pleasure. What we need is instant. What we need is self-gratification. What we need is, is something that, that makes us feel good right now. And the lies the culture tells us, sex is not necessarily associated with marriage. It's, it's not really a, a one-on-one kind of thing anymore. That, that sex can be with whomever, whenever, however, and how many ever. And, and as we read the poetry of the Song of Solomon, we, we see a singular focus that flies in the face of all this. But the world tells us that sex is not necessarily associated with marriage. That sex is not necessarily associated with biblical values. That we can twist the idea of what it is to have a a monogamous intimate relationship within the boundaries of a marriage between a man and a woman with the intent that that union would be for life now we 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 twist the idea of what gender is we twist the idea of of who a marriage partner can be, how many marriage partners we can have, sometimes even at the same time. The world is messed up in its idea of what intimacy is, and it's no longer associated with marriage. And so the consequence is that we promote and have promoted for years and years and years that when, when sexual relationship is divorced from marriage, that it ends up hurting people. Women are objectified, whether that is, is prostitution or whether that is pornography or whether that is, is any of the other forms that we deal with today. We deal with cultural presentations of love that are the farthest thing we could imagine from love babies are not necessarily connected with love babies are are a thing an inconvenience and when we get to the question of abortion there's really only one question is that a life because if it's a life if it really is a life than to kill it no matter when it is, whether it is pre-born or post-birth, it is not okay to take the life of a child. And so babies aren't associated with love. They are an inconvenience that if we can reduce it to less than a life, it's just a tumor that needs to be removed. And I don't have to tell you that's not the way God intended it. Parenting is not allowed to go along. This past week, in the state of New York, a woman was arrested and charged with a felony because she let her 10-year-old get a tattoo. 
but a 10-year-old can have an abortion without parental consent. Uh, a 10-year-old t- can go to California and say, I want to be a different gender than what I was assigned at birth. And not only are the parents not told, they are not allowed in any way, shape, or form to go get their child and bring them home. Because California law now prevents it. We are living in a world that is just twisted in terms of what sex is related to marriage, how sexual relations are related to the Scripture, how babies are valued, how we view the role of parents in discipling their children. Love is not necessarily associated with intimacy. That, 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 that intimacy can be without love and love can be without intimacy and people that's just not what the scripture says that's why the richness of the poetry and i'm not stalling i'm eventually going to get to song of solomon but you you can't understand the the intimacy that is so poetically described unless we first understand that our world is telling us that we can separate intimacy from love we can separate intimacy from that relationship culture's lie is that all you need is pleasure god's promise is that what you really want is intimacy now Song of Solomon is a fascinating book. Like I said, it should probably just be called Songs. But it's called Song of Songs because it's a, it's a Hebrew idiom. It's a, it's a superlative that's added, sort of like the, the King of Kings or the Lord of Lords. It's, it's saying it's the greatest of all. It's the greatest of all songs. Probably written by Solomon. I have a theory about that that I'm going to share with you in just a minute. And I called one of my Old Testament friends to to make sure that I wasn't completely off the reservation because I didn't read my theory in many other places. But I think Solomon wrote it. I think he wrote it a thousand years or so before Christ. And And I think he intended to show us the purity of love between a man and a woman who were married and the purity of how that shows us what it is to honor God's love. And so the, the Song of Solomon sort of uh, uh, comes out and, and tells us that there's a lot to say about love, the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. I think I've got that up here. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. And the first part of the song is a is a bride there's there's several characters in it 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 reads a lot like a play as a matter of fact the way that people generally approach the song of songs is is one of about four ways one to see it as entirely allegory it's not really a a man and a woman it's god and israel or or if you're new testament it's god it's christ and the church or sometimes we just treat it as a dramatic play. It does read like a Greek play. There's a, a bride who speaks, there's a, a groom who speaks, and there's sort of a, a chorus of her bridesmaids that chime in every now and then. Uh, or you can ignore it, which is what we've done in most of Baptist history for sure. Because the, the language in here is very personal. It's, it's very intimate. It's very descriptive. I joked about it because uh, we, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't say these things uh, to our bride uh, anymore. 
uh, last night I said to Judy, you look very beautiful. I, I didn't say your, your hair is like a flock of goats. <laughs> your eyes are like doves. Your legs are like tree trunks. <laughs> your neck is like a tower. Uh, but, but we clearly get that the, the bride and the groom are trying to look each other in the eyes and say intimate and personal and, and a little bit erotic kinds of things that, 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 that we're a little uncomfortable eavesdropping. And yet there is a, a sense of, of, of purity about their relationship. The bride starts off the poem, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. That's not allegory. We know where she's going with that. Let him kiss me. Your love is better than wine. And so there's a, a, a sense that he's setting up this poetry. He's, he's telling us that the song of songs, which is Solomon's, the bride confesses her love your 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 kisses are sweeter than wine and and throughout this thing there is a there is a a a statement of the bride and the groom and how they love each other and again every now and then the chorus sort of chimes in and and echoes what's going on but the the summary of all of it might be chapter 8 verse 6 where where he says to her, set me as a seal in your heart, as a seal in your arm. Love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. It flashes. Its flashes are flashes of fire. The very flame of the Lord. We, we see the intimacy between a man and his wife, between a wife and her husband. And, and the bridesmaids just look on. Bridesmaids then were likely virgins. Uh, I don't think there was a matron of honor back then. I think they were all maids. The, the story of the, the ten virgins in the New Testament who ran out of one of, five of them ran out of oil for their lamps. Those were bridesmaids waiting to, to, to attend to a wedding. And so this chorus of bridesmaids who, who, who are not yet married, it's, it, it sort of has a, a sense of the poetry being the male saying to the female, this is how much I love you, and the female saying to the male, this is how much I love you, and, and the, the female especially saying to the, the bridesmaids, hey, let me give you some instructions, let me give you some wisdom from the experiences that I've had as a, as a bridesmaid now becoming a bride and so we we get the idea that this is a very intimate poem c.s lewis observed it this way it would seem that our lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak we're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us Intimacy with God is offered us. Intimacy with each other is offered us. Uh, a pure kind of intimacy. Said it like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer at a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. 
And some of the lies that I recited about the culture, uh, they're, they're hard to hear because we, we see people and opinions and even some churches that have, have, have softened their stances on some of those things to where it's really hard to tell if we're making mud pies or taking a holiday by the sea. So love poetry and the plan of God. Here's what I think the Song of Solomon is about. I think Solomon wrote it, and I think that he wrote it as sort of a a poem of repentance and a little bit of regret. Now, stay with me. One of the popular approaches is that the, the poem is reflective, but I think Solomon wrote it later in his life. And some of you know, some of you don't, that Solomon is known for for two things mainly, his wisdom and his women. He's known for his wisdom. That's the he wrote over a thousand proverbs, and this is one of them. The the whole book is one of his proverbs. But he was also known because early on in his kingship, he began to believe that he could make political alliances with marriages. And so the Bible tells us that he had over 700 wives and over 300 concubines, a thousand women he tried to keep happy. How wise is that? (laughs) (laughs) And I wonder if perhaps he was at the end of his life comparing the kind of thing he had settled for that he had let love be reduced to political alliances and arrangements and powerful people within the Israeli community. Uh, You know, we, we can't even imagine how he ever spent time with all those women, let alone got to know them. And I wonder if maybe he was kind of where we are today. That he was looking at what the world had brought him in the way of love. And he started writing poetry about a simpler time. He started writing poetry about a common shepherd who married a common shepherdess and their love was only for each other. They weren't interested in, uh, or they weren't even interested in him. There's a, a section of the Song of Solomon which describes Solomon's wedding procession. We don't know which one, but it's almost an outsider looking at it, going, looking at all the trappings, look at the carriage he rides in, look at the pomp and circumstance, look at the fragrance, look at all the things that are associated with that. And it's almost as if the woman in the poetry steps back and she says, he can have all of that because I've got my shepherd boy with his tree trunk legs and his arms of bronze. I've got my guy, and that's all I need. So I, I read some of the, the poetry, 6-2, my beloved has gone down to his garden in the bed of spices to graze in the gardens to gather lilies. Uh, one of the themes throughout the Song of Songs is this garden imagery, and, and I wonder if it's 
as if it's making us think all the way back to Genesis. When love between a man and a woman before the fall was, was naked and unashamed and vulnerable and transparent and, and they only had each other, literally, they only had each other. And I, I wonder if some of the imagery is, is going back to that time of the garden. My beloved has gone down to the garden. He, he's to graze in the garden. My beloved's, my beloved is mine. He grazes among the lilies. I am my lover's and my lover is mine. But you know that chorus I told you about? That group of bridesmaids that was kind of hanging on to the words of the bride and the groom and they were sort of eavesdropping on this, this, this intimate poetry between the two. Three times in the Song of Songs, the bride in the story, the bride in the poetry, she stops and she says to these bridesmaids, I adjure you, I, I beg you, daughters of Jerusalem, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Three times. She, she's, she was caught up in this, this, this intimate love poetry between uh, she and her, her, her lover, her, 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 her fiancé, and at some point in the poem, her marriage. And, and by the way, you can't get really hung up in Song of Songs because it's not meant to be sequential. It's just random poems that were written, and, and at some point an, an, an editor put them all together in the order that he thought was the right order. But sometimes you think they're married, and sometimes you think they're not. Well, the intention in the poem is that there is a progression, and that love waited until it was the right time. The intimacy, the physical relationship waited until it was the right time. The expression of love was not a narcissistic, self-serving, objectification, reduce love to, to a, a, a thing that's separated from marriage, that's separated from intimacy, that's separated from, from a sense of commitment to one another. Last night I talked a lot about covenant and how vows are, are, are deeper than just I intend to do this. They're, they're promises that, that, that go even beyond promises. It's a covenant. It's a vow. It's a till death do us part kind of love. And so I kind of wonder if the Song of Songs is about redemption I think about people who might be listening today, some of you single, some of you single again through divorce or death, some of you married, some of you married for a very long time. Some of you uh, separated from uh, the person you love for whatever reason, a business trip or, or, or family circumstances. And, 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 and all of this poetic imagery. You know, it was ironic that I'm studying this because I, I had to make sure I didn't let any of it bleed over into the vows that I would say yesterday. Uh, it, it's this intimacy that's uncomfortable if you're, if you're on the outside looking in. But when you think about the purity between the two, 
that the, the bridesmaids are, are, are looking on and the bride just keeps looking over and saying, ladies, wait until it's the right time. Don't settle for a pursuit of pleasure when God wants us to pursue intimacy. Don't, don't settle for an imitation that, 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 the, that the world says, this is the new definition of love. This is the, the new way we look at this. Go old school. And look in the Scripture and saying God is not a prude. He, he is describing an intimate relationship between husband and wife that's just as spicy as Louisiana. But he's saying it's in context. It's in the, the right place, the right time. And my interpretation that it's Solomon looking back on all of this it makes me think of the people who might be listening today who have blown it. Who maybe didn't wait. Who maybe didn't get things in the right order. Maybe settled for less. Or maybe even now are settling for less. And Solomon is writing this, in, in my opinion, and he's thinking about how the 700 wives and the 300 concubines have, have sort of cheapened the, the intent that God had for even his marriage. And as you read the, the wistful kind of, of poetic language, you get the idea that, that God is saying to him, I love you still. I redeem you still. And one day people will understand that the depths that I will go to redefine love once again. Paul said it in Romans 5.8. But God demonstrated His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I will redefine love. I will draw you back to me. I will use the language of lovers to let you know that I don't desire that you pursue pleasure. I desire that you accept intimacy. Would you bow your heads? What if this was an invitation to compare our kind of love with authentic love. What if we did the same inventory that Solomon did and sort of did a, a check on the, the way that love had been I don't know, contaminated. And even if you grab the language of, of, of Song of Songs, what if it is God expressing His love for us? What if it is Jesus saying to the bride, His church, I've prepared a place for you. I have uh, redeemed you. I have bought you back in the language of Hosea. I, I, I have called you by name. You are mine. Isaiah said. What, what if God is laying out for us in this, this wisdom book the kind of love that He really intended? If you've never trusted Christ as Savior, 
He's calling you to that kind of love. And hopefully you can see the contrast in the kind of love that the world offers. If you have been walking with Him for a while, but, but now it seems like there's a distant voice, He's calling you back to the intimacy of the early stages of whatever love relationship you can remember. He's calling you back to that authentic, that, that unashamed, that vulnerable kind of love that He has for us. And He longs to meet with each of us. If you're far from God and you can do a little inventory of the times you've blown it, He tells you to come home. If we confess our sins, He's faithful, He's righteous to forgive our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. We breathe out our confession, we breathe in His forgiveness. Father, all of us are in different places. And if there's one here who needs to know you as Savior, let this conversation start today. See one of our greeters in the lobby. Find one of us pastors. It's too important to, to have the wait on this conversation any longer. Just see one of us. We'll start the conversation. If you just feel like you've blown it say something like this father i confess my sins i want the kind of love that you provide not the kind of love that the world describes i don't want to settle for pleasure when i can have intimacy with you intimacy with others father teach me about love god thanks for letting us be in worship thanks for letting us handle your word we pray in jesus name amen